But we come to Psalm 59. Let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us tonight. Great God, you are the sovereign ruler of the heavens and the earth. Thank you for all that are here tonight, the men and the women and the children. We thank you for your word that you have given to us in our own language. We pray that you would give me grace as I teach and help all of us to hear with humble hearts what you would have for us, that we would be changed, that we would be edified, that we would be blessed, and that we would know you in a deeper and more intimate way through this study. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by telling you a little bit about the Scottish missionary in the late 1800s. Maybe you know his name or you've heard about John Payton. John Payton was a missionary to the cannibals on the islands of the South Pacific, and he gave his life to the Lord, he gave his life to missions, he gave his life to the peoples who had never heard the gospel, and they were a rough and they were a savage people. If there is one word that described his life and his missionary work, the word danger would certainly be a fitting word. One quote, he says, Our continuous danger caused me now oftentimes to sleep with all of my clothes on because I might start running in a moment's warning. My faithful dog, Clutha, would give a sharp bark when there were enemies outside, and my dog would wake me up. God made my enemies fear this little creature of mine and often used my dog in saving my life. Another quotation that John Payton gives of the dangers that he had in missionary life, quote, I found my house surrounded by armed men, and a tribal chief was speaking that they had assembled to take my life. Seeing that I was entirely at their hands, I knelt down by my bed, and I gave myself away body and soul in prayer to Jesus for what seemed to be my last prayer on earth. Rising, I got up from prayer and I went out to my enemies and I began calmly talking about their unkind treatment of me. And then I contrasted that with my kind treatment of them. And amazingly, God gave him the deliverance. I mean, his, you, can, you can read the biography, you can read these stories. On my plane home, I was reading the biography of John Payton this week uh, from India. This, this man's life was filled with danger. It was filled with, with trouble and affliction and opposition from God-haters. But it's often that way, isn't it, that when you serve Jesus, it is a very costly mission. When you serve Jesus, there are afflictions along the way. It is the difficulties of life and even the difficulties of the ungodly that assault believers, and it can be quite dangerous. But that's the God-appointed path for triumph. It is the God-appointed path to triumph. So when you're in danger, where do you go? When you're going through the afflictions, where do you turn? When John Payton has his home surrounded by cannibals and he's in danger and in fear, where does he go? And Psalm 59 is a great song that God has given to us 
for the times when you're in danger. You feel like your life is threatened. You feel like you're in danger. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Psalm 59 is a great psalm for us. Now, we see from the top there, David wrote this psalm. It is a miktam of David, meaning it is to be remembered. Miktam is the Hebrew word, carve it out and preserve it. Bind it on your heart and keep this at the forefront of your mind. David wrote it, and he wrote it, we see, when, in Psalm 59, when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. And we know that that comes from 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, when the angry and the bloodthirsty Saul is sending messengers to David's house to watch him and to put him to death. I mean, could you imagine being in David's situation? Could you imagine being there when the king of the land has sent messengers to a house to kill you by morning? Amazingly, David was spared by the grace of God and by the goodness of God. He was spared and let down through a window and he went out and fled and he escaped. We find at the end, though, the end, the subscript, which is really the heading of Psalm 60, it's for the choir director, which means it should be sung in the congregation. And then it's to the tune of the Shushan Eduth, the Shushan Eduth, another song a tune that we don't know today, but evidently they did know it back then. This is an amazing psalm because the danger is real and the danger is thick, but David's perspective changes. Now hang with me for a minute. We're a church committed to biblical counseling. We love biblical counseling. One of the fundamental tenets of biblical counseling is when you are counseling others, we are reminding one another that you can't change your environment. Nor do you and I have the power to change other people. But what we are called to do is to change our perspective in that difficult situation. And Psalm 59 is a great teaching on that. Let me flesh that out a little bit more. We cannot change our circumstances, but we can change our attitude in the tough circumstances. The woman who is married to the deceptive or manipulative or self-serving or angry husband, she can't change him, but she can change her attitude married to him. The parents with that rebellious, disrespectful, or selfish, or lazy teenager, they they cannot change the situation, but they can change their attitude as they relate to and shepherd those teenagers along. The Christian who is living for Christ, who is mocked at work and reviled by the ungodly and maybe falsely accused or ridiculed, can't change the situation, but you can change your perspective in the situation. The man or the woman battling depression with all the hard work and desires and plans that they have put in place for their life that have now been unmet or they failed or God has rerouted them and depression seems to come about. You can't change the situation, but you can change your perspective. Psalm 59 teaches that. 
Psalm 59 teaches that when David is in great danger, he can't change his environment. He can't change the situation. He cannot change his enemies. But he does have a change in his heart. He does have a change in his heart. And we want to look at that as we walk through this God-given song tonight. And I'm going to read it as we kind of walk through it together. Look in your outline. Number one, I want to show you the declaration of the danger. The declaration of the danger. So in verse one, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Set me securely on high away from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who do iniquity and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men launch an attack against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. For no guilt of mine, they run and set themselves against me. Arouse yourself to help me and see. You O Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who are treacherous in iniquity. Selah. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and they go around the city. Behold, they belch forth with their mouth. Swords are in their lips for they say, who hears? But you, Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at the nations. You know, in these opening couple of verses, I mean, David is desperate. He is desperate saying, God, deliver me. Do you see the four commands in verses one and two? Deliver me, set me on high, deliver me, save me. I mean, he's just crying out, God, I need you to help me. Verse three, he gives the description. He talks about the trouble. He declares what's going on. Behold, God, let me tell you what they're doing. And and notice he calls them enemies in verse 1. Notice in verse 1, they rise up against him. In verse 2, they are men of bloodshed. In verse 3, they want to ambush David's life. Verse 3, they're fierce men. Verse 5, they are treacherous in iniquity. And even verse 6, they are like dirty, unclean, howling dogs at night. Don't think a little dog walking down your street, you know, in the neighborhood. That's not the dog we're talking about. These are the unclean scavengers of the ancient world. They are like dogs and they're hungry to kill. They are belching forth with their mouth. Nothing worthwhile is coming out of them. And they have swords in their lips, verse 7. I mean, that's the declaration. That's what he's got going on. And he's crying out to the Lord and he's acknowledging, God, this is my situation. This is what I find myself in. And he calls them in verse 6, howling dogs. Howling dogs, meaning these are those who enjoy chaos. They bring anarchy. They are terrorizing the street at night. They're dirty. They're defiled. They're sleepless. They're depraved. Isn't it amazing, by the way, how the Bible is not afraid to bring out metaphors of uncleanness in people, like unclean dogs. The Bible talks about the wicked like an unclean leper, like a dead corpse, like a dirty pig, like a poisonous snake, 
like a stubborn mule, like short-lived grass. I mean, that's just that's what the Bible pictures and these metaphors who we are as sinners. That these wicked, the declaration, they're like howling dogs. They are hunting for David. He is in danger. They want to kill him. They want to destroy him. And then he acknowledges in verse 8, you, Lord, laugh at them. You laugh at them. Like in Psalm 2, verse 4, the Lord sits in the heavens and he laughs at the rebels. Like in Psalm 37, 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked because their day of judgment is coming. This is a laugh of contempt. It's a laugh from Almighty God because puny man doesn't stand a chance against Almighty God. You you laugh at them. David is making a declaration in these opening eight verses. God, you see what's going on here. He's declaring the danger that he's in. It kind of reminds me, speaking of danger, of the Apostle Paul. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when the Apostle Paul describes his own dangers He says, no wonder that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and all of the false apostles of Christ are disguising themselves as well. And and Paul is walking around and living his life in many, many dangers. Listen to this. Uh, He says, I have been beaten times without number. I'm in danger of death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brethren. Paul can relate a life of danger. But you know what? You can take comfort that God sees it. God sees it all. What do you do when you're in a situation like this? What do you do when you find yourself in a difficult, dangerous moment? You declare it to God. You tell God exactly what's going on. Don't hide anything. You unburden your heart to the Lord. He hears it and he cares. But not only is there a declaration of the danger, look in your outline at number two, the deliverance in the danger. Because now in verse nine, the psalmist is going to watch for God even in the danger. I mean, it'd be nice if God just took away the danger, but he doesn't. Verse nine, because of his strength, meaning the strength of my enemies, I will watch for you because God is my stronghold. My God and his love will meet me and God will let me look triumphantly on my foes. You see how he's reorienting his perspective? I'm waiting on God. I'm believing in the love of God. I know that God's love is going to meet me. I know that God is my stronghold. He's reorienting his perspective on God and his perfect love. But look with me at verse 11. Look at verse 11. David says, don't don't slay them or my people will forget. But look at verse 13. David's going to pray, destroy them. 
So what is he doing? In verse 11, it's almost like he's saying, don't kill them all at once. Don't kill them all at once or don't kill them instantly because it may be a lesson not learned. It's just they come and go real quick. But rather, scatter them, bring them down, let them be caught and tangled in their pride for a lesson to everyone who is watching. And then, of course, ultimately in verse 13, they will be destroyed. But as we look at these verses, when we read verses 9 to 15, there's something going on that I want to tell you about. It's a little bit of an academic lesson, but that's okay. In the ancient Near Eastern world, the imagery of a divine warrior king was really common in the ancient world. You know, every, every people group, they had their king or they had their leader or their chief who would go to battle and they would fight the battle and, and he would be triumphant in battle. And that was the warrior king sort of motif or, or picture or image. Well, the Bible uses that a lot. Right here, the wording and the language of Psalm 59 is picturing Yahweh as the divine warrior. That's what a king does. A warrior gives protection and security. He had to be valiant in battle to secure the victory. Well, guess what? David says, in the language of the psalm, God is my commander-in-chief. God is my shield. God has promised to protect all who seek him. My God is full of deliverance and victory, and, and I can totally enjoy his kingship. David is enjoying that. He's reflecting on that. He's using an image that was common in the ancient world. When my God comes as the king to deliver his people, nothing will stand in the way of God. Nothing can overpower God. Nothing can defeat God. He is a fortress, a rock, a shield, a protector, a horn, a victor. This is our God. And David is using that image to encourage his own heart in the times of danger. In fact, if you just look back, Let your eye look at verse 5. It's one of the long titles of God. Verse 5, you, O Yahweh, God of hosts, the God of Israel. Now, you and I could read that and think, wow, that's cool. He's the Lord God of hosts. Yeah, but in the ancient Near Eastern Hebrew idea, this is saying my God is the God of all the armies of heaven. My God is the king. He's the victor. All of the heavenly hosts are at his command. All the powers of heaven and earth are his. All the battles belong to him. He has the victory. My God is constant in his vigilance. I mention that because the language of the psalm is encouraging Because David is reflecting, even in the danger, he's reflecting on my God as the victor. My God is the triumphant king. My God is the warrior king. 
And so he says, if you look ahead right here in verse 12, on account of the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. Verse 13, destroy them in wrath, destroy them that they may be no more. Why? Verse 13, so that men may know that God rules. Talk about a victor king. Talk about a triumphant warrior. Talk about being on the winning side. I want you, God, to deal with the enemies so that all men will know that you are the God who rules in Jacob. It's such comfort. It is such comfort. It is such deliverance that David knows he can have deliverance and shelter and protection in the warrior king. Christian. No different for me and you. You and I can have shelter and a safe, strong refuge in Jesus Christ, our rock. Whatever danger might be assailing you or assaulting you or come your way, whether it's physical enemies or spiritual enemies, whatever it could be, visible or invisible, let us remember that we have deliverance in our God and we can pray like David, Lord, I know you're my victor king. I know that you are the sovereign one. May all men know that you reign over all. What a great way that we can pray. What a great way that we can learn from David. All this reminds me of the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel chapter 3 when uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the king and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are, are brought near and, and they're thrown into the fiery furnace for not bowing down. Remember this? God gave him deliverance. And then at the end of that chapter, Nebuchadnezzar even acknowledges there's no one like the Lord. Or fast forward to Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel, at the hands of King Darius, is thrown into the lion's den. Talk about danger there. He's thrown into the lion's den with all the difficulties and the dangers being falsely accused as well. And yet, at the end of the chapter, when God delivers Daniel, King Darius acknowledges there's no one like the Lord God of Daniel. It's a similar thing here. David in Psalm 59 is praying and he's acknowledging his deliverance in God. And he says, I want all the nations to know that there is no God like our God. What a great, great hope that we have. That you and I have that same deliverance and that same hope in our God. Not only do we see the declaration of the danger... And then we see the deliverance from the danger. But in your outline, look at number three. And I I don't know about you, but this is shocking to me. It is astonishing to me. And David does it all the time in the book of Psalms. With all the danger and the difficulty, he ends with praise and thanksgiving and worship and celebration. And that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when you're in a tough time like this. But look at the devotion amidst the danger. After he responds in verses 13 to 15 again to these evil workers who are like dogs howling in the night again. He mentions that again. 
Now in verse 16, look at the game changer. But as for me. I may not feel like this. All my enemies are doing this. This is their transgression, but but as for me, here's my resolution. Here's what they are doing, but here's what I must do. Verse 16, but as for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindnesses. There's a contrast. Did you you notice how in verse 14, The dogs return at evening and they're howling. And yet right here in verse 16, David is contrasting that, yeah, but I'm going to sing in the morning of God's covenant love. Let the wicked do what they're going to do. Let the wicked rummage the the streets and let, let them be violent. But as for me, here's my resolution. I will seek the Lord and praise him in worship. This is staggering devotion. And you think, how in the world can I do that? If you're like John Payton, surrounded by the cannibals, If you're like Daniel being thrown to the lion's den, you and me as believers today have unseen spiritual enemies assaulting us. Where do we go? What do we do? How do we do this? And the answer is found by the working of God, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He is the one who produces praise. He is the one who changes our perspective. He is the one who can give us a worshipful disposition while going through a dangerous situation. That's what God does. Now, in verses 16 and 17, this is really neat because all three of the words in our English we have sing or shout Each of the words in Hebrew are different, and they convey different ideas. It's like the psalmist is saying here, I will shout joyfully to God. I'm going to pluck on my guitar, as it were, or my lyre, or whatever that instrument is. I'm going to make music to God, and then he's going to say, I'm going to sing loudly the praises to God in the danger, amidst the danger. In your suffering, you really can be singing. In uncertainty, you really can be a man and woman of worship. You really can. And David, notice his singing, notice his shouting, notice his his musical melody here is all directed to God and all of the images here, the strength of God, the love of God, the stronghold of God, the refuge in God. He shows love. I mean, this is a God-centered praise. I've reflected on this a little bit in recent weeks, traveling a little bit and seeing believers worship the Lord in different cultures around the world. 
How can we learn to sing well? Whatever culture we're in, how do we sing well? How do we grow in singing well in the times that we're in? I don't remember if I put this in your outline, but let me give you some some key words. How can we rehearse well for heaven? Number one, we need to sing heartfully. That is from the heart. Are there emotions in singing? Sure. Sure, there are. Of course, we can't deny it. But our worship should not be driven by our emotions. Our worship should be driven from the heart in truth. We ought to sing heartfully from the heart. Second, we ought to sing mindfully, engaging the mind as we're singing hymns and songs and and worship choruses. Our mind should be reflecting on things about God or truths about Christ or realities of the gospel, scriptures that are filling our mind as we're singing. That means our song should be more theocentric, more than man-centered. Third, we ought to sing loudly. David puts it right here in verse 16. I will joyfully sing. The Hebrew word means I'm going to shout joyfully to God. Loud singing, passionate singing. Fourth, we can sing corporately. David wrote this for the choir director. He wrote it to be sung publicly in the congregation. So we can do the same when we sing corporately with other people. And then fifth, we can sing biblically. Our songs, our hymns, filled with biblical truth. Filled with biblical truth. You know, there there was another situation of a man who was in danger Jesus, Matthew chapter 26. We know it as the Last Supper. We know that he was there uh, with the 11. Judas had already left to go get the Roman soldiers. But when Jesus was there with the 11 and he just took the bread and he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me, then there's that verse, then they sang a hymn. They sang a hymn. His soul was troubled. The betrayer had already left him to go get the the, the soldiers. Jesus knew he was going to be rejected. He knew the cross was impending. Jesus sang with his own people. He sang a hymn with the eleven. What an encouragement for us. That when we have the times of difficulty, we can do that as well. Amazing hope. Amazing truth in this psalm. So Psalm 59 ends with this simple truth. The danger had not subsided. It's still there. The enemies are still there. But guess what had changed? David's heart. But as for me, I'm going to sing to God. You know how practical that is? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And neither do you. With my health or your health or my life and your life or with our nation or our finances or our family or whatever is going on, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the persecution, the opposition, the rejection. We we don't know what's going to happen. But yet we can say with David, whatever is going on around us, but as for me, I will sing to God my Savior. 
Because my Savior has died for me. And he's been raised for me. And he's in heaven for me. And he's coming back again one day for me. We have every reason to praise our God, even among and in the danger. So I began by telling you about John Payton and some of his dangerous situations. Let me conclude by giving you one last account of John Payton before we pray. On one occasion in the biography, John Payton uh, had an occasion where he was trying to escape a place of danger, but he was surrounded by raging natives who kept urging one another, you need to strike the missionary with the first blow. So they're all arguing amongst themselves. Who's going to kill him first and attack him first? John Payton, in a time of danger, said, quote, My heart rose up to the Lord Jesus in prayer. And I saw, as it were, spiritually, him watching all of the scene. My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized this very important truth. Hear this. He said, I realized that I was immortal until my master's work with me is done. And so he said, the assurance came to me like a voice out of heaven had spoken that not a musket would be fired to wound me, not a club would prevail to strike me, not a spear would leave the hand of my enemy uh, to kill me, not an arrow would leave the bow without the permission of Jesus, who has all power in heaven and on earth. He rules all nature. He rules and restrains even the savage of the south. Seas, end of quote. What a perspective. What a hope in Jesus. But did you catch what he said there? He said, we are immortal until our master's work with us is done. Christian, that's true. It's true of me. It's true of you. You are immortal. You can't die until your master's work with you is done. And then guess what? When it's done, guess what? You're going to die. So Christian, go forth. Go forth in danger and serve Christ, our mighty refuge, trusting in him and leaning upon him at all times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given a spirit-inspired song for us. It deals with the realities of life and the difficulties of life and the realities of danger and oppression and violence. And yet, O oh God, how faithful you are. We are immortal until your work with us is done. So Lord, may we be found faithful to honor and worship and trust and sing to you all the while. In Jesus' name we pray.